So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our logo. And on Twitter, it's exactly the same. Instead, it's at Folk on Falcons with the same logo. Yeah, so this week we are going to review our defeat against Wasps at the weekend. Um, we've got two games before our next podcast because we've got the uh, Premiership Cup midweek one. So we'll have a, a quick chat about the, the game at um, Northampton on Wednesday evening. And then on Saturday, we're playing against Worcester. Um, and then we'll have a probably touch on a couple of other rugby matters and then do a roundup of the scores. So first thing, I, th- I think, um, first time I've been to the Rico Arena, or as it's now called, the Coventry Building Society Arena, not the Rico. Bit of a mouthful, but that's what it is. And I have to say, I was relatively impressed with the ground. Have you been before, Ian? No, I haven't. It's, it's one of the ones I haven't. Usually from here, Coventry is a bit bit of a faff to get to um no i mean it's one i will want to go to at some point i have no doubt i mean i want to go to all the grounds eventually but uh, no it's this one i haven't been to yeah so i got the the train there uh, to Coventry and then spent a weekend in the midlands i was doing some accounts for a friend joy joy but um yeah it was a very nice uh stadium actually uh got a good urinal to fans ratio Go in and out in half time and not have to queue too much which i think is a good thing there's only a third full mind because um obviously it's set up for the football, so I think they used to a few more fans. It's been built for thirty odd thousand, and there's only about must have been about nine or ten thousand in the ground. But um, reasonably, reasonably well laid out. It's quite um, it's quite a good stadium. It's got kind of concourse all the way around, but it's a good one to go to. And for the first time watching rugby in a long time, I ended up getting sunburn. So got my mum's ginger jeans to thank for that one, I think. But um, there's one of these ones where in the first half you could see the sun on the pitch, and you thought, well, that looks quite nice, and it felt like you're watching it in some tropical climb somewhere. And then as the second half wore on, sun started blazing in, in this sort of mini cauldron. And yeah, I've got, got a bit of redness to my face, but that was quite good. Um, the final thing I'd say is everyone at Wasps, or the vast majority, seem to wear Wasps kit or some variation thereof. It's not like Kingston Park where everyone's kind of huddled under 15 coats. It's um, might just be because the, the sun was out, everyone's T-shirts were on show. But um, might have something to do with the fact that their shop was at 50% off sales, so... Uh, the pin barge was only 75p, which is the cheapest pin barge I've bought in a long time for my collection. So um, there you go. Um, that was the that was the good parts of the afternoon. Oh, there were some other good parts as well. But the match itself was once again a Falcon special of pretty good performance in large parts, not being able to put away the tries apart from a certain Mr. McGregor Esquire. And it's a textbook of how not to manage a game. Well, yeah, textbook frustration as well, isn't it? I mean... I think even you know we say this every week. But I think even more so after after that game. Um, and again, you know, we always say, "Oh, it was kind of in our grasp," and then we sort of let it go away, etc. But again, even more so. It was just it was just at times sort of suicidal decision making or application that just, as you say, undone actually several minutes or several sort of periods of actually they looked pretty good, and they were going toe to toe even bettering a pretty strong, decent wasp side they had out there as well. Um, but it was just all individual errors which just undid so much good work all the time. And it, it's it's a familiar pattern, isn't it? We're actually, for large parts of the game, as you say, we're actually playing all right, fairly well, but we're actually winning. And we actually look like, comf- not so much comfortable, but worthy to have a, say, seven or ten point lead. But then, yeah, it's just brainless sort of suicidal decisions, just throws that away instantly. And the momentum shifts, and we know we just can't see out games. So you kind of know what, what the result is going to be to, you know, at the end, because it's just the same pattern every single week. And it's 
you know, and obviously, if that doesn't stop, we're just going to lose every week. But I thought that that game in particular really sort of showed that. Obviously, George McGregor and the try machine. I'm trying to remember the last time a Falcons hooker scored a hat trick. Obviously, Glamire got one for England in the summer. But um, when is he going to stop scoring? We don't want him to, but it just seems that every single game he's on the score sheet. And this time he got tries of different nature. Often he gets them in the back of the walls. Only a couple that this week like that. But then he got the one after the. I don't know quite how many superlatives I can use about Brocklebank's run. It was the most splendid 70-yard gallop I've seen from a prop in I don't know how long. Just um, seemed to just keep going through the gears, defenders falling off him. Then, unfortunately, I think it was um, Umaga kind of tap-tackled him or tried to tackle him and slid down and tripped him up a bit. But uh, it was a shame he couldn't go all the way. And I think everyone in the stadium would have given him a standing ovation had he made it, because it's one of these scenes in rugby. There's, there's not much better than a, a prop in full flight. Well, yeah, you, you, I think they should have just kind of let him through anyway, just for you know, for the spectacle, for the sportsmanship, and for, for the moment. But uh, even with that one, in fact, he was going so so quickly, you know, like properly going through those gears that no one could catch up with him, unfortunately, uh, which maybe raises some questions uh, because it was just had a, at least one or maybe two players in support. We just probably offloaded that walk into the post. But I suppose if McGuigan tries, well, scoring for fun. We've, we've mentioned before, haven't we? You know, our our attacking threat comes from our forwards, and especially, you know, with set pieces and the rolling more off the hookers, the one who picks up the ball at the end and flops over for the try. But generally, he's a pretty strong, dynamic ball carrier anyway. So when we have our main threat of the forwards only a few metres out from the line, it's quite likely he's going to be on the receiving end of a of a pass and, and he will just, and he will, you know, he will go over whatever metre or two metres out. So I think mean, that's probably why he's getting all the tries. But on a slightly different note, I thought one of the positives was what Radwan was more involved in the game than I'd seen for absolutely months. I think it was a bit unlucky in the second half, wasn't even a bounce um, for a, almost a really, really spectacular try. Um, but I thought he got a lot more involved. I thought him and, and we actually we mentioned this as well. We, we were looking forward to seeing Carreras and Radwine on the, both of the wings. And I think you could tell there's definitely an improvement when both of them are playing. Radwine, he, he had a bit more ball, he had a bit more space. And yeah, the one you referred to, so clever, he got about halfway line and he kind of did a little dink grubber sort of thing through then it wouldn't quite sit up for him in the right way and he ends up having to do another grubber kick and trying to get it down and then um actually at the the we call it the rico arena because it's not a mouthful at the rico arena there's not very much runoff behind the dead ball line to tarmac before the advertising hoardings and he kind of dived to try and get the ball and did like a full body slide on this tarmac and there must be a thin layer of adam radran spread on the Rico Arena tarmac. And um, there's one of these ones where you knew it wasn't actually going to be an injury, but it just looked so painful, like skinned everything probably. And um, it was down for a 10, 15, 30 seconds or so. When he got up, it was quite nice that the whole of the stadium gave him a round of applause. I think everyone just appreciated he'd gone for it, didn't get the try and um, gave a lot of skin to the cause. Well, actually, you know, on the, when you watch off the TV like I did, you actually notice uh, we actually burned a few holes in his shirt from the, presumably the friction of sliding a few metres. Yeah, you can see his, his Falcon shirt was definitely more ve- well ventilated at the front uh, than, than his uh, teammates. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was unlucky. But I think in general, as I say, he just got the ball more and looked much more of a threat than, yeah, I, I think for, for a very long time, months even. Yeah, it must be the joy of plastic shirts, I guess. They 
adhere to your body when they get frictional. And, but um, I think that also it's not just Carreras on the other wing that um, gave him a bit more space. I think it was also having Burrell at number 12. Uh, he looked like the player he was maybe the start of last season. He was carrying it very strongly. He was making yards every time he got the ball. And he was just meaning that those defenders had to turn their shoulders in and expose themselves out wide and to ensure that Burrell didn't get through. And there were a couple of times when in attack, he thought, oh, he's not got, quite got the pace he did. But there was a great covering tackle he did in the second half where he did actually go through the gears again. And um, I think it was, uh, what's it called, Bassett would have been away down the touchline if uh, uh, Burrell hadn't got across to him. So, uh, yeah, very good performance from him, I feel. Um, one performance which, once again, I can't help but feel sorry for him. Blemaya got another two-minute cameo for all we slagged off Eddie Jones for it. Um, yeah, he got two minutes to Falcons. And I've, I've got this terrible feeling that for all I love McGuigan and Blemaya, unfortunately, there's only one hooker position on the pitch. And I've just got this terrible feeling that, unfortunately, we've got two extremely good hookers at the same time. And there's a lot of talk about Munster looking at McGuigan because he obviously has aspirations for Ireland. I think he's given up on England now. And in order to play for Ireland, I think that they'll want him to probably play for an Irish province. So I fear that he may go off to Munster, but it's only a rumour and nothing clear. But then similarly, um, if he stays, then is Blamaya going to be wanting to be playing two minutes a week? I'm not sure he will. So a bit of a problem, I guess the... Alternatives are Blamire in the back row as he played a couple of weeks ago in the Premiership Cup. I guess the other alternative is put McGuigan at fly half or centre or something because he, he just score for fun wherever he plays. Yeah, I mean, it's, obviously it's a really impossible dilemma, which I mean, everyone is aware of. Um, I think all we can do, especially as kind of outsiders looking in, is just kind of keep our fingers crossed and that both stay for as long as possible. I mean, you know, we, we're not naive. You know, professional sport is like at the top level. You know, players don't hang around forever for whatever reason. But I think we just have to hope that these that those two stay around for as long as possible. Um, and I, I guess also an interesting question is, would you play Blamaya for, well, against Northampton midweek and risk him not then not being available for the league game against Worcester? I don't know. You see, it's really kind of on the outside looking in, it's kind of hard to judge really when you have such a strength in competition. Um, sort of who goes what, where does it go down to just how players are feeling that week or any injuries or, I don't know. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think we just kind of have to just hope that they just stay at the club, both of them, for as long as possible, really. Yeah, um, if we go back to the game itself, obviously, for a lot of the first half, we were quite pleased. There's a reasonable number of travelling fans there and there's a lot of smiles on Falcons' faces. But then, you can call it what you want. You can, I'm going to refer to it as game management. At the end of the first half, we got the ball about halfway then We had the choice. Do we kick it out or do we try and score a try? And I've got no problems with us trying to score a try, but in that situation at the end of a half, you don't throw 50-50 balls that might end up with the opposition getting it, which is what happened. And then we end up down at the other end of the pitch and conceding a try to go and level. And had you asked me at the start of the half, if you go in half-time level, I'd have probably said, yeah, I'll take that. But then when you see the way that we basically shot ourselves in the foot the last few minutes of the half in injury time, you just think, come on, boys, you're better than this. Just who's the leader on the field? Um, who's deciding to do these brainless things? Is it the players? Is it the way they're told to play? What's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, if we got in... Obviously, 10 points clear. That would be an absolutely brilliant first half. You know, obviously, it wasn't a perfect half, but, you know, let's be realistic, and that would have been absolutely fantastic. But 
like you say, the usual kind of folk and skate management. And, you know, I, I was kind of said literally before the pass was made when we lost it, I was saying, you know, oh, I bet, bet what they do is they lose it now and the clock's gone red and they'll go down the pitch and score. I bet you this is what happens. Then about five seconds later, of course, that's exactly what happened because, you know, if you watch Falkers long enough, you know what's going to happen. But yeah, it was a ridiculous pass. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was a pass from Schroeder. I can't remember who he passed it to. It was just a pass which was, even if you just did the pass a bit better, there are two options, as you say, kick it out with the ball. The clock was red, though if you're playing on the pitch, it was only by a couple of seconds, maybe you don't realise. So you just do a decent safe pass, recycle it, then kick it out. But no, of course, terrible pass to feet pretty much. Ball is lost. They go down the pitch, get a penalty, and then just score, which textbook, isn't it? Textbook Volgans. And then, I mean, yeah, of course, we were still winning, and yeah, great, but, you know, in the... That, that was unbelievably preventable because it was literally the last player. And that just sums us up at the moment, really. Yeah, um, I think one of the turning points in the, the game was in the second half, probably about 10 minutes before full-time, we'd got our three tries already and we're going for the fourth and we got a penalty. It must have been about halfway, 10-metre line. And Hayden Woodford, he played quite well. He'd missed one easy kick for the posts in the first half of penalty, but that was the only really thing he'd done wrong all game. And then um, he just completely shanked his penalty dead. And it, if he'd have stuck it in the corner... Absolutely brilliant. But when McGregor wanted to score a fourth try, but it was a scrum back on halfway. They're put in, and from then the game just turned. That that was it. And after the game, I was chatting to a couple of other Falcons fans, and it's the sort of thing where you could very easily point your finger and say it's all Hayden Wood's fault. But it's just one of these ha- things that happens, and the one in a hundred happened at a crucial time. And could he have gone for a safer touch? Yes, he could have, but probably even with a safer touch, he shanked it so badly. Even with a safer touch, it was still completely messed it up. Yeah, it's just one of these unfortunate instances, but the game turned on that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to pinpoint one moment where we lost it, that was probably it. And that is, even though, like, obviously, I was like throwing things at the TV and absolutely apocalyptic when he did that. I mean, it's still you can't blame the defeat on him, obviously, entirely for that, even if that was absolutely dreadful. Um, we shouldn't have been in that position anyway. Obviously, we discussed what happened at the end of the first half, and it isn't fair to sort of completely blame him, but we just got to hope, you know, obviously, young lad, that you know, this just that just doesn't happen again. And as a team, we're not putting, we're not in a position where if we miss one penalty, you know, we lose the game. Apocalyptic, not apoplectic. Nah, apocalyptic. Oh, there we go. That's a new new one for me. But yeah, um, it goes beyond. It goes beyond that. This yeah, end so, of the world. <laughs> so, so we so we end up losing. We get a losing bonus point, which is kept off the bottom of the league. But had you said to me on the way into um, the Coventry Building Society Arena, would you take a point today? I think I'd have probably said yes, please. Thank you very much. Shaking your hand and walked off. But at the end of the game, you could just see it. that The Wasps fans didn't seem particularly happy that they'd won. They, I think they were expecting a, a festival of running rugby that the dog grew, launched, and all the rest of them. Bassett scoring tries for fun that didn't happen. And I think they all kind of knew they got away with one there. And the Falcons fans, was, on the way out of the stadium, I spoke to a couple of them. We just kind of said, how on earth have we managed to do that again? Because it was so close to being a very good victory away from home against a, a good good Wasps team. And we let, we let it go and everyone, I think, realised we let it go. And um, yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's a sign of a bad team, isn't it? The bad teams always find a way to lose somehow. And that's us at the moment. Yeah, and good teams find a way to win, which certainly isn't yeah. us. But what I'd also say actually is, on the note of the Wasps fans not really looking that fussed about winning, I feel like a lot of the people in that ground 
Oh, well, the Wasp fans, they didn't seem like they had much passion for their team. There wasn't really much in the way of chanting going on. They were playing um, stadium noise over the speakers at certain times, which I thought was a bit strange. They had the worst smoke machine that I've ever seen in professional sport going onto the pitch. It was almost like someone firing up a dodgy engine that had too much oil in it, that had exhaust pluming out, as opposed to a decent smoke machine. And there were various things about it, which just made the kind of the fan experience a bit tacky. If all said good things about the stadium and um, whatnot, I feel like their fans don't really have the passion of a lot of other fans I've been to. It might be because of the, the nature of the club moving and it's not really a people's boyhood club in the same way as it will be for most other teams in the league because it's only been around in Coventry for a few years. But just a strange sort of atmosphere. There weren't the, it wouldn't say you get the ultras like you do in football, but there wasn't sort of that sort of atmosphere amongst the fans. It was very odd. So... Falcons are back to the Midlands again in only a few days' time. Unusually, there's a Wednesday match, um, the Premiership Rugby Cup against Northampton. Yeah, well, I mean, we know what we have to do, and that is equal or better Leicester's result. Um, and that will send us through as top of the group. Um, looking at the other groups, as we mentioned in the week, I think I don't think second place in our group will take you through, simply because I think second place in Group A has... You know, has more points, and I don't think we, any whoever's second now can overcome that. Uh, with one round of fixtures left, um, yeah, so they know what they have to do, it's entirely in our hands, isn't going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, this Northampton team, whatever team they put out, their cup team, whatever you want to call it, did a really good job away to Saracens the other week, even though they're pretty much out of it already. So, just kind of, you know. We obviously, I mean, we can't take any game lightly in the form we're in, but especially we, we can't take it lightly. It's going to be really, really, really tough. Um, I think we'll do very well, even though it is in our hands and we're top of the group, I think we'll do very well, very, very well to actually win away there. Um, we'll just have to keep an eye on how less to do as well and kind of keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, it's a funny one because in the past, these fixtures have all been at the weekends and um, they've kind of played the... Speechmarks B team. I think Falcons in the last round might have played a bit of a stronger team than other teams in the tournament. But um, now this one's a midweek game. And I think I'm right in saying the semi-finals and finals are midweek as well. So it could be that they've kind of done that so that teams don't just switch all their players around. Because um, I know in the past, quite often they've had them at weekends and suddenly teams play their their first team for semi-finals and finals of this competition. But who are we going to play? I can't see us playing players that played either the weekend just gone or players that we might want in the squad for the weekend coming up. And I just have to hope that Northampton have got pretty much the same idea. Ho- hopefully they're playing for more in the league because they're still chasing some of the better positions. Um, so it's got to hope that our academy system is better than theirs. And on merit, we've got one of the better academy systems in the league. So fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, I've, I would expect pretty much almost the entire squad, if not the whole squad, to be completely different to what we had away at Wasps and what we're going to have at way to Worcester a few days later. Northampton, you think even more so because they're out of the competition. So why would they play anyone remotely, you know, you know, in first team or starting 15? Um, yeah, I mean, again, like you said, the cameras have to hope that they come through. I mean, it seems to be that we've played a bit more of an experienced team than some other clubs have. And maybe that's kind of what's seen us through so far. And then obviously we are currently top of the group. Uh, I guess we'll have to hope that that, that is what sees, sees us through on Wednesday. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's 50-50 really. Um, I do now say, you know, I have to play really, really well to beat them. But I think it's 50-50 simply because, you know, it's all in our hands. We've got everything to play for. And I think they will be up for it. Yeah. And then coming up at the weekend thereafter, we've got Worcester. So, 
if we win that one, then we go ahead of them in the league. Um, so that's another must-win match. Well, isn't it always the case that our games against Worcester must win and games most important games of the season? I mean, in, in a sense, this probably this game probably is the most important game of the season because if we beat Worcester, it's that it's a huge advantage for us in not finishing bottom of the league. And I, I think it also is. I, I like to think there's a little bit of a rivalry perhaps between us and Worcester to finish higher than one or the other, you know, towards the foot of the table. I think it would be nice to kind of get one over them. Uh, at least I kind of feel that way. Um, but, you know, the way we've been playing in the league, I, I don't know. You know, Worcester are a really funny team. One week they could put out an absolutely brilliant performance, score tries for fun. Next week they're absolutely dire. So I think we're more consistent in that we're poor consistently generally. But sometimes they're really, really poor. Um, and I don't know, we'll just have to... Well, I think if we... Uh, there has been a slight, I think, upward trajectory performance, hasn't there? A slight one. Um, even though, you know, obviously results haven't shown that and it's still the issues about game management. But if they can kind of build on that, then maybe we might finally see out one of these games, especially against a, a not wonderful Worcester team. So, I mean, it's there to be won, but are we good enough to take it? I, I don't know. Well, it's going to be pretty tense. I think Worcester probably have a few of their... South Africans playing for them. I think Van der Meer will be back from uh, suspension, um, and then there'll be all the all the other players they've got. That I'm not sure who else they might have had an international duty from the Six Nations. I can't think of many from the top of my head. But um, it'll be interesting how Worcester are for fitness because of their game against Gloucester being cancelled at the weekend because of COVID and injuries. It was this old, you need six front row malarkey again. Obviously, when we Edinburgh a couple of years ago in the Highland Cup had problems we were told tough seems to be now that um, you just have to say that somebody's injured and the match gets called off very funny one it'd be very interesting to see if they play anyone midweek in their front row who would not necessarily have been available on Saturday i.e. were they not wanting to play some academy players and then it goes on to is it safe to play academy players in the Premiership but um, it's one of these ones where no easy answer I think it'd be interesting in terms of that points allocation as well because obviously for Covid it was it was four, four and two points, wasn't it? Um, but this, I don't think this was necessarily purely COVID related. I think it was more in actual injuries. And I think on, on with that being the case, is is the points distribution different? Um, I, I think it's maybe the BBC article or another article where they did say last time this had happened was in 2019-2020 season. I think it involved... I think they're in Gloucester again. I can't remember the teams, but um, the team that wasn't fault was given zero points and the team that wasn't was given the full five points. Um, so I think Gloucester be hoping that obviously they get the full five points and us, everyone would certainly be hoping that we're still getting nothing from that. But we'll have to see if the points allocation rules have changed since then. I'll go further than that. I think it's not absolutely... If it's COVID, it's one thing. But if it's that they can't field a team because of injuries, etc., it's an absolute disgrace. And they should get docked points. They should get docked five points because if you think about what happened at Christmas with us when sale cancelled against us, it was, it was this one was only five hours before kickoff as well, and ours was only the day before at Christmas. And you've got they'll have all the catering people, all the staff will have turned up. You'll have all the local businesses that have there's a fi- really good fish and chip shop opposite Kingsville, and they'll have bought in, I don't know, an extra thousand cod fillets before the game. And you've got all these ancillary businesses, and then Worcester should just be able to go and loan a player from a local club. There's championship clubs that players that would have happily stepped up, there'll be national one players that would happily step up, and they should just be told you, you've got a squad, but you haven't got six front rows go and find some and get someone at the RFU to work a Saturday morning and rush the paperwork through. Just get it done because everyone wants to see rugby played. And I think it's an absolute disgrace that this sort of thing can happen. Worcester should get fined heavily for it because it's just incompetence to have a squad that thin on players. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's 
better on a case-by-case basis. If, for example, like literally every single prop in your club, hypothetically, every single prop in your club is injured and just for whatever reason, bizarrely cannot play that that day. Um, and there's, there's, there's literally no other alternative then. I, I don't know. I guess you can't really do much about that, but you've got to think somewhere a senior level, they must be able to scrape together. Um, or even they must have, even, I don't know what the rest of the rules, how young you can go down in the academy to promote to first team. Um, but Scott, you would have thought of someone, or even, I don't know what the rules are for, like you say, getting loaning for a match from local lower league clubs. I don't know what the rules are for that. Maybe the rules are really, really strict. I don't know. But it, it does seem odd that they have, would have literally nobody at the club that's suitable for it. Um, and it, it, the fact that it was maybe a bit ambiguous as well in terms of exactly reasons as to why, maybe hints at something, but I don't know. It's obviously we're just speculating, but it does seem odd that they have literally nobody to kind of to put their boots on and then play. Or they should have made them go there and then Gloucester could have lent them a couple of academy lads to get some experience. That's what happens at every club every weekend around the country in the second teams and whatnot. The team turns up with 14 players and then the team gives them a couple of players and they get a game played and never enjoys themselves. They should be made to throw the match still have a spectacle, and then Gloucester's props from the academy can get a bit of a run-out. Or you could have it where you have uncontested scrums, but the team that hasn't been a fault gets automatically kind of match points anyway, or sort of league points anyway. Yeah, or make, the, or make them uh, turn up there with only four subs uh, or four mm. front rows, and then do what happened to Italy during the Six Nations. If, if this person can't play a full game, then tough, you're down to 14 or 13 players, depending on how it works out. But something mm. has to be better than that. It's just, it's not okay. Well, and also, it's unfair on other teams as well. You know, you've got, well, Gloucester, for example, if they don't get, you, if you were Gloucester, you would think, right, very likely we'll get five points from this game. But because it's similar to like, I suppose, for example, COVID, but if it wasn't COVID related, if it was like, you know, oh, we just haven't got the players for whatever, for whatever reason. But you would expect Gloucester to get five points. And now they may only get four points. And that could affect them finishing the top four through absolutely no fault of their own. And I know this has obviously been happening recently with the COVID cancellations, but if this isn't COVID, I think this is something a bit different. And it doesn't strike me as particularly fair, really. But again, we'll have to see what, what they do for that. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I think one of the mentions for the weekend's rugby has to go to Chris Ashton. Um, the journeyman, I think, has made a lot of a lot more enemies than friends along the way. For all he's um, a bit of a so-and-so, it would seem, he's a very good rugby player and he's now equaled the Premiership's all-time scoring record and 92 tries shows what a good finisher he is. I think over the years, I think he's probably been one of the best finishers in world rugby, actually. I know his reputation may go before him and maybe he's not a particular popular player to have in the dressing room or whatever. Maybe it's a bit too disruptive for a lot of teams to stomach, but you can't doubt his actual you know, rugby and try scoring ability. I think it, genuinely, I think he's one of the best we've seen you know, over the past 10 years or so. Um, even slightly longer. I, personally, I think he maybe earns a bit more of a, should have had a bit more of a fair crack at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think he really helps himself sometimes, though, does he? But, you know, credit to him. And I think that just shows actually what a really, despite everything, what a really good rugby player he is. Yeah, and it's also worth noting he spent a bit of time overseas as well in France. And if he hadn't have spent that time, he'd, have, he'd be head and shoulders above everyone on that list. I think he's joined with Vondel at the minute. So one last thing to go on to before we go around the scores. Seems like um, the national press have been listening to the podcast as well because I've seen references to Emperor Eddie Jones in the national press, which is what I've been saying for a while. So I'm, I'm curious as to who has been listening to the podcast or just stealing my, my I don't know what you call it, eponymous titles, but there we go. It's probably Lawrence Delalio or Carol Vorderman. <laughs> no, I think I saw it in the Telegraph from somewhere else. He was referred to as the Emperor in his clothes, but... Um, 
There we go. Um, it seems like the, the tide might be turning, but then I think today the RFU have said they're sticking with them till after the World Cup and they appoint an English manager thereafter. But who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. So if we just do a, a premiership roundup of the weekend, the Friday night game, as we've said, Gloucester v Worcester was cancelled um, because of the issues in the Worcester camp, as we've mentioned. Scores yet to be allocated for that. Um, in the premiership, Bath drew with Sale, 24 apiece. London Irish got heavily beaten by Northampton, 22 points to 42 uh, at London Irish. Um, Saracens only just got past Bristol, 27 points to 23. Then there's our defeat, 27 points to 24 at Wasps. And then finally on Sunday, Exeter got beaten in a close affair by Leicester, 17 points to 22. That leaves the table as it stands. Leicester still out ahead with 80 points, having played 20 games. Saracens have 68, as do, and Harlequins have 63, both of whom have played 19. Exeter have 57, having played 20, along with Sale also playing 20 on 55 points. Gloucester are yet to get their points allocation, so when that happens, they will go up to presumably 58 or 59, pushing them into fourth place, and they've also got They'll have then had 19 games played. Um, then there'll be Northampton with 53, London Irish also on 53, Wasps on 48, Bristol on 36, Worcester on 30, assuming they don't get any points and don't get any points docked due to their not being able to field a team. We've got 27 alongside Bath, but because we've won more games, we have um, the preferential place in the table. If we go around the regions, um, in National League One, Darlington, Pipped Tombridge, 22 points to 20. Bladen got hammered by Loctonians, 43 points to nil. And Tyndale lost in a high-scoring affair, 31 points to 47 at home to Rotherham. In North Premier, Billingham lost to Lim, 20 points to 24. And Annick were beaten heavily, 59 points to 27 at Otley. In North One East, Concert lost the Durham Derby to Durham City, 26 points to 44. And Morpeth got a win against Bolton and Norton, 30 points to 19. Only one contender for score of the week this week. Um, it's not often you get scores above 100. Um, 124 points to five, however, is quite the margin. And that was what Percy Park tossed up against Acklam. Don't know what goes on there. I presume that Acklam must have not had a full-strength team because even though Percy Park are playing very well this year, that score is kind of off the scale in terms of things you see. Um, even at third and fourth team level, you don't normally get scores like that, even when teams have such heavy disparity between them. So God only knows what happened there. Or probably a lot of people know what happened there. If you're at that game and you know what happened there, do drop us a note on the Facebook or Twitter or whatever, because I'd be interested to find out. So hopefully next week, we can talk to you about two Falcons victories, not two Falcons defeats. But knowing us, cumulatively, we'll be ahead for 158 minutes. And we'll throw away two last-minute tries in each game to lose the matches. And then we'll be ranting and raving again about all sorts of problems with the setup, the game management. But no, hopefully not. Hopefully next week we'll... Um, I feel like the performance is there, it's stringing it all together and making it work. So, yeah, fingers crossed that something changes. Because I think it, we're, we're almost there. It's a bit late in the season, but almost. So, it's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.